Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony. Thank you for choosing to join us today, and I'm hoping you are all doing fantabulous. Are you doing fantabulous? I'm doing fantabulous. It's uh, great to be here uh, with you, Philip. Well, thank you for coming. I appreciate that. My special guest today is author and educator Dr. Paul Gold, who is a professor of human-computer interaction. The acronym is HCI. That's correct. And the author of two volumes of the ebook, Hidden Hotels of St. Paul in Minneapolis, 1890 through 1899, and volume two, ranging from the years 1900 to 1905. So thank you, Dr. Gold, for joining us today. Welcome to the Downright Upright Show. I go by Paul, and thank you for welcoming me. Oh, great. So I'm, I'm going to call you Paul now. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why I prefer. There we go. Yeah. So um, let's talk about a little bit about you first. Okay. Um, could you briefly tell the listeners where you were born and raised? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yes, okay. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. I was almost uh, born in Minneapolis, but my dad turned down a job in a restaurant. He was a manager uh, for Stover's restaurants in Chicago and in New York, and they were offering him the Minneapolis uh, restaurant, but um, somehow their vacuum cleaners didn't work, and the, <laughs> and the ceiling tiles were falling apart at the Stover's in Minneapolis, so he said no. So what that goes to show, Philip, is that sometimes life sucks, and sometimes it doesn't. And so I would have otherwise been a, born in Minnesota, okay. yeah, but I was born in Cleveland. Were instead. you raised in Minnesota? Uh, no, I um, actually moved to Minnesota um, in uh, 1990. Oh, I was when you were five. No, 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 I was, no, I was, I was just, just turned 30, actually. Okay. Um, then I, I moved on my birthday. I was uh, living in West Berlin, Germany um, mm. from 88 and 89 and 90, you know, so I was there. Were you during, working there? Yes, yes, I worked for the government there. Oh, nice. So um, I saw the Berlin Wall fall at pretty close pretty close range and in fact the night that the berlin wall uh collapsed i was in a pub and um, all of a sudden we heard these east german car engines in the street and then the bartender uh turned the tv on and then we all we all knew what had happened and then these east germans came into the pub and they all wanted beer and they didn't have any west german money so you had to adopt an east german or two during the night just spontaneous Mm. And uh, most of my friends had been drinking pretty much, so they weren't able to really do much. But I found a couple, an older couple, and what I did was I was their host, and I asked them what they wanted to do. And so they said they wanted to go into downtown West Berlin. So they hadn't been there, you know, since the wall uh, was established. And uh, so I was their host. I paid for everything, took them downtown. And it was middle of the night, but it was so bright with all the lights and cars mm -hmm. honking and flags being waved and newspaper boys on the corner with extra, extra additions like you see in the movies. It was really surreal. So that was a, um, a, big, a big experience. And then when the reunification of Germany happened uh, in October 1990, then it was about uh, time for me to go back to the States. So I uh, stayed in Sweden for a while. And then I decided that I wanted to go um, to Minnesota rather than going to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, where my family's from. 
Because wow. I had an uncle in Bloomington. And what, what, oh, so your uncle was uncle, the motivation? My that uncle, made... and, yeah, and uh, in Bloomington, who always said that I would be very comfortable here because of the Swedish community. So yeah, That's yeah. true. So yeah. that's we have a I very did. large Scandinavian community. That in, is correct. In Minnesota. Yeah, yeah that is yeah. correct. I'm Swedish-speaking and German-speaking, yeah. Wow. So how many languages do you speak all together? I speak um, Swedish and German and a little bit of French. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, um, so where did you go to college and postgraduate school, and what subjects uh, were your degree in? Well, I went to uh, University of Missouri initially, and I spoke German. Um, I learned German uh, at University of Missouri, and then I... That is one difficult language, I have to say. You know, it wasn't that way for me. Because, really? No, okay. not at all. Because I'd already spoken Swedish, and for me it was an easy A. I was lazy, <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was it was really great. Um, we had this instructor who taught us after class. He used to take us to this bar. It's called the Old Heidelberg, and he was a real eccentric guy, a guy that drank a lot. <laughs> um, and he'd always um, cancel classes anytime a space shuttle was orbiting. <laughs> I don't know why, but you'd have to know the space shuttle uh, schedule. So, but anyway, we really learned to speak German, and that was later on my job skill. And so um, I later on went to uh, Germany, to Berlin, um, you know, because I could work there in Berlin, because I could bilingual, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's where that led me. And then when I came back to um, the United States and moved to Minnesota. Um, then I uh, was working at a bank, um, transferring multi-million dollar bonds between corporations and so forth, mm. and they had tuition reimbursement. And I had not finished my degree um, at the University of Missouri, so I finished it at Metro State uh, University here in the Twin Cities. And from there... Is that in St. Paul? Or in, yeah, in, is that St. Paul? St. Paul. Yeah, that... Oh. And, and then what that led to, uh, what the bank was saying, we can't, we really can't move you up into a, like a management, but we will pay for your uh, master's degree because they had all ah. this money because people weren't taking them up on it. That's when they used to have tuition reimbursement when I worked for First Trust. Um, and so they paid, they helped pay for my master's degree nice. um, in telecommunications from St. Mary's uh, University of Minnesota. So I graduated from there, and then at that point, then I went on to work for Capella University, and then I got my PhD in psychology from Capella University, and then after that, I got a postdoctoral um, master's just about a year ago um, in uh, data analytics. Uh -huh. So that's, that's the extent of my education. Oh. Well, that's a lot. That's great. I mean, I, I, you have so much background in so many different fields. I mean, uh, and creativity-wise, I mean, from the books and... Yeah, I've always been interested in history, and I started publishing some um, history articles in the Ramsey County Historical Society magazine, uh -huh. and, um, and then I landed a gig as a, uh, a history columnist for the Lower Town News uh, and that was in the year 20, no, that was in the year 2000. Um, and the column was called 
this month, comma, last century. Mm -hmm. So I would tell you everything that's going on in downtown St. Paul 100 years ago this month. And that was a real hit. And people were very, very interested in these hotel stories, especially. Right. And that's what gave me this idea of doing a guide to lesser quality hotels. Right. And that's, and that's what these books that's are about. That's prompted um, me. It's really interesting stuff. And so I guess, you know, with all these different professions and, and stuff, that I probably most want to be known as a promoter of cheap hotels. <laughs> Did you have the interest because of your, your background in history or, you, or the hotel thing was, you know, had a mystical kind of um, well, I, I, story I, that you wanted to tell about, like, Jesse James's... Um, no, people and all that? No. It, 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 well, I've always been interested in history a great deal. Um, when I was a child, I met a survivor of the Titanic. And that oh, really, wow. that really, you know, and that got me kind of interested. Was it Leonardo in, DiCaprio? No, no, just no. Kidding. Oh, listen, <laughs> just his, 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 his name was uh, Frankie Goldsmith. Oh, okay. And it was, this is in Cleveland. And what, what was his role on the Titanic? He was this is interesting. He, he was a little boy on the Titanic about, about oh, well, my age at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he got in like in the last lifeboat and, and all that stuff. And he, he spoke at my dad's rotary meeting and said, I like kids. And um, I was the only kid that someone brought. My dad brought me there. And, and so uh, I went up on stage and, you know, before talking to all the businessmen, he told me one-on-one -on -one what happened, his mm -hmm. experience. And he was telling me that one day they'll find that ship and they'll find that it's broken in two. Because that's not like it looks like in the movies up until that point where it just goes in one piece. Mm -hmm. So I remember that. Yeah. Well, I think our listeners... Um uh, I have to t I have to tell them this. You you know almost every subject about. I mean I mean I could if this show was five hours we'd still have have more stuff to talk about. You because you're, yes. you're, you're you're a plethora of information from from history from uh, science from technology. I mean there's so many things. So our listeners really are going to enjoy uh, listening to you and what you have to say about your books especially and. Um, and later on, when we do the shift about your opinions on politics. Sure, sure. Because it's kind of like a smorgasbord of ideas. <laughs> you know? So I'll, I'll let you organize and lay out the yeah, table, I'm, I table with the interview. Have, and we'll, I really don't know how we're going to fit this in, but we're going to try. All right. I'll let you run. You know, I'll let you choose the dishes that you want. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> um, so um, there were no hotel chains back in those days. No, they were all little hotels. And, and you know, um, and many, many hotels i mean i have hundreds if not thousands of hotel stories they're all little short stories vignettes and most of these hotels are long since gone but there are two or three in each city in minneapolis and in st paul that are still actually there from from the 1890s oh are there yes okay yes there are and um, can you name one that's still there yeah i can name one um one was the uh, Colonnade Hotel, still a big hotel, still there. It's still called the same name. It's too. still called the same name, and it it, it is a um, an apartment building, affordable uh, housing kind of apartment building. Yeah, it's still there. But it's, is was, it a hotel though anymore? Or no? Not a hotel anymore. But it was actually also the first building in St. Paul to have electricity. Overall, yeah, it's over by St. Joseph's Hospital. That's one of them. Yeah. So why uh, why and when do you think hotel uh, the whole 
hotel chain concept came into being. Why do you think, I know it's probably money. I mean, I'm going to guess. Yeah, it's money. It, you know, it's cor- corporate type of thing. But this is way before um, right. these yeah. hotels. These hotels were just, you know, some of them, some of them were over taverns and some of right. them saloons. And, you know, the period that I go for, the 1890 to 1910 period roughly, is the time period that's a transition between the old west and modern day yeah it is so it's a very interesting period absolutely and just and you know some of these stories are pretty uh crazy you won't believe them and some are tra- yeah. very tragic some of them yeah we're gonna but, get to some but some these of are things. places that you would today walk up and down the street whether it's hennepin or kellogg boulevard or wherever and you probably didn't even know that there was a hotel there at one point or the, all these crazy stories happened uh-huh. at this place. This would have been long since forgotten if somebody didn't curate these stories. Absolutely. And that's kind of my goal. Uh-huh. Well, uh, it's fascinating reading. And and I also wanted to ask you, because, um, see, I'm, I'm ignorant to the subject about hotels. I mean, I really am. Um, I always thought, like, for example, we were talking about this before the show, about the Hilton Hotel chain, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that was around for a really long time, but you're saying it wasn't. It's a not new back con- in those days. It well, not, a, maybe not, not way back there, but yeah. what, the 30s, you would say? Yeah, I would, I would say maybe. So I don't know that much about the modern uh, hotel. Um, I'm only interested in the really old hotel story. You know, they're kind of intriguing because here you come to a strange city, and you don't, you just don't know what's going. It's kind of scary. They're kind of oh, like yeah. ghost stories a bit. Oh yeah, you know, because you're in a very strange place, and a lot of those uh, hotels too, they were um, lighted by, they were lit by gas lamps, and those gas lamps would flow gas, gas. They would burn gas, and there's. I a, imagine there were a lot of fires, a lot of fires, and lots <sighs> of people accidentally dying. Because they're used to being out in rural areas in Minnesota and other places, and they would blow out the flame. But that's not the way to do it. You have to turn the key. Right. So otherwise it would flow. Mm-hmm. And one of these hotels had so many problems with that, particularly with Norwegians uh, visiting St. Paul. They decided to bore holes in, bore holes in the doors so that it would leak out so they wouldn't have quite as many people dying. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there's even this one, one story about this one traveler who wants to commit suicide. Yeah, and he's tried a couple times, but the gas systems weren't good enough at the other hotels. So he was still angry. <laughs> that he didn't succeed. No, because they didn't have a good gas. Enough gas. Not enough gas. No, no. Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah, so, yeah, that, you had these kinds of things going on. Yeah. So why do you think visitors visiting the Twin Cities in those days were unfortunate if they didn't have a friend or relative to stay with? Why were those hotels considered dangerous fire traps? Or, or Now, you use the term disorderly houses. Tell the listeners a little more about well, that, too. Well, they call disorderly houses just as, as another word for houses of prostitution. Of ill repute. Of ill repute. They call them disorderly <laughs> houses. Yeah, if you came and ventured in, you didn't know you know, what hotel had what reputation and so forth. But, but there's also these guys. If you went to the Union Depot... The Union Depot was in downtown St. Paul. is near where the Union Depot is now, but it's a little—it's a little bit over. It's in that over overhead uh, rail thing that 
So, so at any rate, with the uh, Union Hotel, I'm um, pardon me, the Union Depot, um, you would have all sorts of people that were like almost like carnival barkers that you'd be accosted with, and these are hotel runners, mm. and they're paid a commission to get people into these cheaper hotels. So you never know what you're going to get, and a lot of these guys were con men so that they could steal all your money, you know, and a lot of the time they'd be jipping immigrants. Oh, yeah. You know, because people would come up there to work in the lumber industry or agriculture or, you know, and the Mankato Hotel, that's one of them. And they had two Germans there that wanted to find work in St. Paul. And the people in the Mankato Hotel bar or their saloon there, they were more than willing to take them down to the train yards to show them where they could work. Mm. <laughs> they got robbed and beaten up. So basically, the question is, is correct, that if you had relatives or friends in the Twin Cities at that, in those days, That's what you were much more do. fortunate. That much you more fortunate to stay with them rather than mm-hmm. risk yeah. going into But if you didn't and you, you were passing through for work or whatever, you pretty much had your life on the line, huh? Yeah, and then, of course, some uh, bigger hotels, like the Merchants Hotel, that was like one of the oldest hotels in Minnesota and St. Paul. That was along Kellogg Boulevard. And that's where um, the public TV station is now in downtown St. Paul, mm. is on that land. And and that was one of the nicer hotels, but still you'd have things going on there, like a bellboy who had smallpox and was spreading smallpox. That was another concern back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of diseases back then. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And back then, you know, it's, with the contagion, they, they they didn't ask you would you like to be vaccinated. They forced you to be oh, vaccinated. Oh yeah. That, I, when they I had heard someone that. get smallpox, they would clear out these old hotels and force vaccinate the people on the spot. Yeah. And and yeah, that's what they would do. So the anti-vaxxers would have had a coronary back in those days. <laughs> yeah, they would have. They would have. They would have indeed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Anyway, um, moving on to hotel uh, lore. Yeah. I mean, I I always was fascinated about ghosts in these. Did you you hear stories about ghosts in any of those hotels oh, in yeah, Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. You, and were they BS or can you expand on you that? You know, a, a lot. I think if you look back at at stories today of ghosts being in in some of these hotels throughout Minnesota or throughout the Upper Midwest, it you know it's hit or miss. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But it can be a way to entice today's travelers to go there you know um if it goes that might help bring customers there i was just gonna say that because i'm as a flight attendant um i go to hotels all the time and there are a few that flight attendants have mentioned that you know they've heard footsteps when there's nobody there or lights flickering or there's a couple i'm not gonna obviously not name them but um yeah um do you what do you attribute that do you do you think that really there are ghosts in these hotels or do you think it's just bad faulty wiring or bad, you know thin walls i don't know i'm 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 personally not a believer in ghosts okay so it's but right. i know that people that are you know oh yeah i um, know a lot yeah. so so uh, how, who am i to say but you've had stories come up in the, about your during your investigation oh, of those hotels. Period, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, oh, one was a um, Union Cavalry officer who died of pneumonia in one of them, and they say that you might hear his boots of his spurs 
in the hallways, okay. you know, things, things like that, okay. you know, but there were an awful lot of suicides and deaths and mm-hmm. murders and stuff in these hotel rooms. So it's pretty scary. Maybe they were doing mushrooms. Who knows? They were just, no, no, <laughs> no, not, not, no, I don't know. They, they, they would, there would be a lot of people who would commit suicide, for example, by drinking carbolic acid. No. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, is it similar to when um, people were drinking Clorox to get rid of COVID? Is that similar to that? Uh, yeah, this stuff. That, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, well, I hate no, to laugh, but it no, happened. it was really a craze, and they had a they had a, a lot of people that would drink carbolic acid to commit suicide. You know, can you imagine an excruciating? That's awful. Uh, just just awful. But I mean, it was a real real thing back then mm-hmm, yeah that people would go to these hotels and drink carbolic acid and it was pretty gruesome well, i want to tell the listeners though that all the stories in the book are 100 percent true 100 percent true and can you give our listeners a particular incident in the book or books because you have two volumes yeah. that people thought was uh, was actually an old wives tale but uh wasn't an old wives tale was actually a true story well, I think that people will think that many of these stories can't <laughs> know, possibly they be will. true, Philip. But um, <laughs> they will. My fa- if if you were to ask me, because you know, I've, I've read through a, a lot of them and I, it's bizarre. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my, I think my favorite of all time, my favorite story of all time, was this man who was a sleepwalker, several floors up. He was a guest. He sleptwalked, and he went out on a ledge on Hennepin Avenue and walked along the length of a hotel several stories above and people on the street were watching him and you could tell that he was a sleepwalker. And when he got to the last uh, room on that floor, he smashed the window and then intruded on another male guest. And then he woke up, the sleepwalker woke up and you know apologized to the, sleeping, the man who was sleeping in whose room he had entered. And the man said, not so fast. You're not going for the door. You have to go out the way you came in. So he put him back on on the ledge. Oh, no. And now he's awake. And so he he managed to skimmy down. Was uh, he naked? No, he was in the, his nightgown, you know. Oh, the other way they... Yeah, yeah those yeah. long nightgowns back yeah. then. And um, so he managed to shimmy down the drain pipe a couple no. floors. Yeah, that's how he did. And then he went back up to... Um, his room and went back to bed and asleep. <laughs> and then he got oh got woken God. up by the police that told him, you know, about this damage he had done to this room and and um, the judge threw it out. They said it just uh, it just it just too over the top. That is crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. Could you give us another one? This is fascinating. What other uh, story? That, well, the- you you'd have also um, another thing that would happen is a lot of the people back then were still riding horses. You have a lot of carriages and stuff like that. These horses could get spooked by anything. Yeah. Like, you know, like a hotel um, shutter falling to the street or a streetcar, because they had a lot of streetcars then. And there's this one case um, on St. Peter Street where this wild team of horses uh, ran down several blocks and ran inside the hotel. And one the of horse the, ran in the hotel. Yeah, one, ho- one, one horse ended up in the lobby of the hotel <laughs> and the other one in the saloon at the hotel. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, you know, it's a, different, a very different time. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and, and I tried to put these stories together in an entertaining way 
so that they're not forgotten. You know, because most people don't, most people don't think about these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I have them like all organized out by street and the address and so yeah, forth. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, our listeners are going to be fascinated if they just even read read the books. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about later about the YouTube channel. That's yeah, there's that you, a YouTube you channel. Have, well, it's, you're going to be uh, the narrator of these stories. That is, is correct. That is correct. I doing that and the artwork and. Um, so I've been developing that. Um, it takes time to, to put that together, but yeah, I'm sure. But I think you know if you like ho- you know with Halloween coming up. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. There you go. That's why maybe this was a you know apropos to have you on our show at around Halloween time. I don't know if you're like a doing ghost tours uh, around the Twin Cities. Yeah. You know yeah, they yeah, could yeah. take a look at. the I book had an author they... that that read um, that wrote. Excuse me. Um, horror uh, books as well. He was my second episode, uh, Adam Nikolai. Yeah, I I listened to that. It was a very good interview. Oh, he's amazing. And um, you're in the same ballpark with him. I mean, your your stuff is very fascinating. (laughs) Except yours is more... Uh, uh, factual. His is more yeah, fictional. It's all, it's all nonfiction, yeah. yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Uh, but sometimes um, the truth can be stranger you know, than fiction. You and, know, absolutely. And, is, and that's what makes these stories so interesting. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I, it, I really think you're right. I mean, I, I, there are stories that you hear that really happened that you you would think somebody wrote this down and made a you know uh, uh, made a, uh, a fictional account of it but it's you know i mean our politics is one example but anyway um so um would you briefly talk about the story of jim younger now i'm going to preface this by oh, okay. saying that he was someone, one of many, who rode with Jesse James and who stayed at the Reardon Hotel. Is that the name of the hotel? Yeah, the, the Reardon Hotel. And yeah. um, he converted after shortly after that to uh, embracing socialism. Is it, can yeah, you talk he, about that yeah, a little bit? It's, it's a particularly interesting story, and most people may not realize it. Um, Jim Younger was one of the younger brothers. There were three younger brothers that rode with Jesse James. Were there any older brothers? Well, he had an older <laughs> brother, uh, Cole, and he had a brother named Bob. And the three of them, uh, when they had the Northfield raid, you know, today they still do those Jesse James reenactments mm-hmm. every year. They're yeah. quite popular over yeah, Northfield. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. With the bank there, you should, you know, check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool stuff. But anyway... He was hunt- they were hunted down by these posses at the, the bailed bank robbery that was botched. And he was shot. Had part of his jaw actually shot off. Mm. And they captured the younger brothers, and they went to Stillwater Prison. Mm. And they were there for about 25 years in Stillwater Prison. So the story, how it impacts uh, hotel history, and probably none of your listeners would ever know this, was that he stayed at one of these hotels in my book called the Reardon Hotel. Mm-hmm. That's where he found a place to stay. But he was trying to make his way in the world after being 25 years or so in a prison, you know, because now they had electricity, streetcars. You know, this is quite a transition for him. Right, so how many years was he in prison again? About 25. I think just 24, 25. So he went from a young man to uh, maybe an elderly man at that point? He was an elderly. Middle-aged? Middle-aged, yeah. yeah. And um, the the thing was, he he couldn't start his own business 
because of the parole um, regulations on him. He couldn't start his own business because he couldn't enter into legal contracts. He couldn't even marry the woman he loved, nor could he leave uh, Minnesota to go back to his native uh, Missouri. Couldn't do that. Okay. So he had been working as a grocery clerk uh, for a time and a, a, grave mark, a grave marker salesman, you know, taking tombstones and even a working in a cigar store as a novelty to have the you know the desperado former desperado and sell cigars and it was just awful for him yeah but he was a very intelligent man and very well read particularly because he was very involved in the prison library in stillwater mm -hmm. and eventually he adapted um, some pro-socialist or pro-liberal uh, democratic ideals and that's why he supported uh, William Jennings Bryan. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, all the stress that that man was uh, uh, dealing with caused him to commit suicide. And he shot himself dead um, on October 19th, 1902, in the Reardon Hotel. And that is on East 7th Place. And, and that building, I think around that building is where a daycare center is today. Um, you wouldn't know it at all mm -hmm. if you hadn't read up on it and of course it's in my book and so all the streets that you pass by um, on your way to work or, or in the downtown area there are often there's stories that you pass by that you just you wouldn't know mm -hmm. and that's what my books the mission of my books mm -hmm. and my videos uh, were all three brothers uh, imprisoned or just all three brothers uh, all three brothers were imprisoned and then um, Bob died in prison um, of, I think, lung problems, like either tuberculosis or something like that. Bob Younger died. Cole Younger went on to do, like, you know, Wild West shows and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so, but he had a hard time. He had a very hard time um, adapting. And that's why he, he adopted or embraced socialism so, at that point. And, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Liberal Democrat. Um, so now you're in the process of, like I was telling you before, we were telling the audience before, um, you're in the process of developing a YouTube channel about Minnesota history, right? I, I, I am in, in the process of, I have some video clips up there based on stories from my book that anybody can access. Um, you, you can see those at www.luridhistory.com. So no spaces. No spaces, so they're mm -hmm. up there now. But I'm going to be making a continual improvements on it and adding some more of my illustrations. That'll give you some ideas uh, of some of these history um, hotel stories mm -hmm. um, in Minneapolis and St. Paul. But I also have uh, additional stories for Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Boston, um, and Pittsburgh. Um, so those are all ready to go. I've just been doing my illustration work. And what what um, can you tell the listeners what they could expect from the channel? Other than is it it's not going to be just hotels, right? You're going to be doing just history and general history of. Right now, it's going to be um, hotels um, by street. Oh, okay. So so street by street um, until I get all these cities done, and then I'll be looking into other uh, types of stories. As, as my skills improve with doing that, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, illustration. I'm not a natural born illustrator. <laughs> That's uh, what you said. But, yeah. But I, I, I'm going to be adding other th- other topics that people um, don't think about, and you know, things that you pass by every day if you're living in one of those cities, and and you just don't take the time to think about it. So the um, the hidden hotels of Saint Saint Paul in Minneapolis. Um, yeah. Uh, books are going to be read. You're going to be the like narrating them. Is that right? That's and, correct. And doing some well, sort of a script. We have it's a it's a it's on actually, YouTube. It's a very it's going to become a variation of that where it's almost like a getting advice on where not to stay. So it's going to be a little bit more um, informal than the book, more conversational mm-hmm. than in the than in the book. But they're going to be based on those same true stories. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can't wait to until uh, you post those because they'll yeah, be yeah. fascinating. Why did you say St. Paul in Minneapolis when you wrote the book? Why did it, and most people say Minneapolis, St. Paul. I'm just curious. I don't know if it's uh, any well, reason. I, or... I lived in St. Paul for so long, you know. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I'm more of a St. Paulite than I am a... Um, Minneapolis. Yeah, I never could understand I why. Um, I don't know. It's maybe it's just, you know people just saying Minneapolis is a bigger city I don't know but St. Paul is actually the capital of the of Minnesota and it's mm-hmm. the first city uh, Minneapolis was a later entry <laughs> if you want to mm-hmm. say and uh, yeah I mean it should be St. Paul Minneapolis right I mean yeah but I don't want to upset the Minneapolis no, people no. we love Minneapolis here um, yeah, we don't, exactly. so don't take it the wrong way anyway um, so we have now come to the part of the show I like to call the shift. I think you know what that part of the show is. It's where I shift the questioning away from you and your career as an educator and an author and into your opinion of current events. Okay, are you ready for this? I'm ready. This, I... is, this is the part of the show. I think people, I, I hear a lot of things that people are very interested in people's opinions. And um, and you are just fascinate me. I mean, you, like I said, you know so many different things, and your opinions would matter to 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 the listeners, I'm sure, when they hear your, your uh, 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 when you voice your uh, ideas. I promise to do my best. Well, no, you're not going to have to promise. No, you, it's going to happen. You can always expect a candid response. Now, <clears throat> as of the taping of this show today, yes. Uh, as you know, Queen Elizabeth of England passed away, mm-hmm. and also um, the 21st anniversary of 9-11 just passed, mm-hmm. and some pundits have said the monarchy has kept the UK unified, even though there are strong political differences in that country, too, just like we do, just like we have, excuse me. In America, we don't have a monarchy, obviously, and the last thing that brought us together as a nation was the tragedy of 9-11. And only another tragedy can bring us together. This is what these pundits are saying. Like, we are in a different dynamic than the UK because the UK has the queen to, to look up to kind of thing. And she's not a political figure. She's just a unifier kind of thing. Um, do you agree with that statement? And can you expound on that a little bit? Because I find that fascinating. When I heard that, I thought that was something we should talk about. I'm I'm nobody's pundit, but no, uh, it would, it's yeah. an opinion no, show. No, just so, an yeah. opinion. But I I would hope that we don't have any kind of disaster or calamity like 9/11 ever again. And I don't think that that's going to be so, something that cataclysmic 
is going to bring back a divided country again. Mm-hmm. It's already divided right now. What will change if we get past this period with the ex-president Trump being more contained, his uh, ability to persuade and agitate people to do things that are asocial, like attack a capital or jettison democracy. When we have that tampered down a bit, then I think we have a chance of reconciliation and more rational thinking. But I do think that part of the problem, too, is that there's such a a wide expanse between working people, what they make, and people who are super rich. And so people are becoming very disgruntled because they are having a harder and harder time making ends meet. So until we get a little bit more equality and and sanity to uh, rates of earning and how people make livings, I think that that will be the key to having people reconcile and things become less heated. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. I mean, it's maybe a little convoluted, but that's... But it's it's interesting, though, um, the the dynamic about him, because if you really look at it, he was, when he was in office for four years, all he really did, if you think about it, was lower taxes for very wealthy people. Extremely. And what does that have to, why do you think, where's the, I find a disconnect with that because I'm not that rich. <laughs> I don't no. have any money. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not poor, like I'm not, you know, mm. you know, but at the same time, I'm not a rich person and most people are middle class or lower middle class or working class, whatever terminology you want to use. But I don't see the connection between him, what he did. You know, he sits on gold toilets, you know, in his mansions. And um, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, what, I see what you're saying. What and, is the and, connection and here? One, one observation that I, I have, if you look at those people that are protesting in front of Mar-a-Lago, you know about you know pro, out there protesting and honk, you know waving flags, Trump flags, and so forth. Right. Do you ever think that those people would be allowed to go into Mar-a-Lago themselves? Never. They would be persona non grata there. Yeah. So why is it that he has that much influence over these people? It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. It, except that um, hate is a very strong emotion. Well, do you think? And, and I'm, I think I'm gonna, that's a. I think that's a lot of. I a think lot you're of this touching is, something here. I think here. a lot of this is hate based. Yes. Hating the others. Yes. Because, but what about the what about the religious aspect of it? He's he he is the most non un I shouldn't say non religious unreligious person I have ever seen in in public, uh, uh, ever. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you have people who claim to be evangelicals um, right. embracing him. Right. What the heck is that about? Well, <laughs> part of it is so that they can get their own political agenda um, furthered um, by supporting him, like some of these Supreme Court justice oh, yeah. um, nominations that Trump has made. They want to make gains too, mm-hmm. you know. And it, if you look back at the history of religion with organized religions, when they'd have popes and kings. Um, you know, in conflict with one another, um, it's a power grab. Yeah, 
in yeah. some way. You what know? do you think about, um, I hate to interrupt you, what do you think about Vice President Harris's comment, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, when she said that the Supreme Court that we have today is an quote-unquote activist court. She said that precedent was disregarded when it came to Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs decision, um, and that all those people that Trump picked um, when they were questioned about precedent all said, oh, yeah, I, I respect precedent. So basically with raised their hand to sw you know swear on the Bible that they're going to tell the truth, and they literally lied to those senators who were questioning them. What's, what, do you agree with the vice well, president well, on that? Un unfortunately, we're in a post-truth era, Philip. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that, that kind of comes with that. But they're attacking her for saying that. Yeah, but it, when you when you say when you accuse someone of being activist, right? Activist judge, uh -huh. you know, either side, either the Democrats or the Republicans, if they're criticizing the other and their agenda, can say activist judge. Right. You know, it's it's become like a catchphrase. Right, right, right. Just for something you don't like. Uh huh. Yeah. But you know, uh, when the original Supreme Court decision uh, about uh, Roe versus Wade was mm. handed down. They didn't say it was in the Constitution. What they did say, it was part of the privacy amendment uh, of the Constitution, mm -hmm. where people have the right to privacy, which is in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So if a doctor and a, a woman, uh, or a, a person who, uh, who can give birth, is able to say, look, I, I, you know, um, my doctor doesn't want me to have this baby for X, Y, and Z reasons, mm -hmm. The government can now come in and say, "Yes, you have to have it." So, where's the privacy now? If it's if if that but, was overturned, but you know, it's kind of ironic because a lot of these um, conservative and Republican people they don't want the government in their business. Oh and yeah, here, and here the government isn't being intrusive Bingo. into somebody else's business. Mm -hmm. You know, really. Yeah, so where's the it's freedom? Not. They talk about, you know, they're the, the party of freedom and, you know, we believe in freedom. There's no freedom when you're telling somebody what to do with them, with their own personal body. Yeah, correct. Could, it would be like if the Supreme Court passed a rule that says every man, after he has his first or second child, has to have a vasectomy. It's the same thing, basically. If you're telling mm -hmm. a woman she can't do something with her body, it's like telling a man you have to have such and such a procedure after your second child. Isn't that kind of like what happened over in China with the one child policy? Well, there you go. But they didn't, but they- And that's communist. You know, the, the funny thing is, is that we become, you know, during the Trump era, that, that we became so much more friendly with the Russians. They were yeah. our adversaries for you decades that? and decades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, very much so. Oh yeah. They were our sworn enemies for, Decades and decades. What and happened? Decades. What did he say? I, mean, I always forget that quote that he said when he was standing next to uh, Putin when they were saying, did Putin have anything to do with... Do you remember? Do you yeah, recall? I remember. He, he very strongly assured me yeah, oh, that yeah, he had yeah, nothing that's to it. do with yeah. something like yeah, that. I, I have no reason lines. not to believe him. <laughs> <laughs> well, look how that turned out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, look yep. how that turned yeah. out. I bet now he's saying that, uh, oh, if I was still president, you know, he would have never invaded. Oh, he well, has said that. Actually. Well, he wouldn't have had to because he, he would have just walked in there <laughs> and taken it. It would have been fine, you know. Anyway. Um, speaking of the uh, of Voldemort, 
As you know, the former president's home in Mar-a-Lago was searched by the FBI recently because of a myriad of document, documents were illegally removed from the White House that were marked top secret and confidential, and the National Archives wants them back. Funny, right? How dangerous is it that the FBI found some of these documents and others are still missing because only empty folders were found? Now, you basically, now try to picture this. You know, you're going in there, and there is they they found some documents, yes, and then there's other folders that read top secret and whatever confidential, and they're completely empty. What happened to those documents? Isn't that freaky to you? Yeah, it, it concerns me. It concerns me in the lack of security of what the reporting, uh -huh. you know, what the reporters are saying that there were really lack security. Uh, you know, any other politician or citizen would be in severe trouble right now. Oh my now. goodness. I mean, who knows what they're leaking. And, and what if oh, he's, Aren't they nuclear, supposedly yeah, nuclear uh, secrets? Nuclear secrets, but why, why is he doing that? I mean, is he selling it? Who oh, knows? Who knows? Because everything is for the buck. You know, with oh, with him, him yes. You it's know, all about so the money. It's mm -hmm. all about the money. So, so what happens? Can you know? There's been some talk about. Well, can he get indicted, or should he be indicted? Maybe we should be hesitant to indict him because he's, he's a former president. Yeah. Yeah. He's my, above the law. He's yeah. <laughs> my theory, anyway, or my idea is that yeah, he should be indicted. And man, I know it's dangerous to say, but he should be. Why is it dangerous to say? Well, I mean, yeah, you, you commit never, a crime, you should you should pay the price. Well, right? you never know what all you know because we have such amount of uh, street thuggery here. You know. Oh yeah. Um, you know. But see, the, but, but but Paul, this is the um, this is only one of many different uh, court cases that are uh, that are in the pipeline right now. If you know yeah, they're, anything they're, they're, about. Donald Trump's I, life. Yeah. I mean, he's got uh, everybody and their mother suing him for some reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you look at Georgia. I mean, they have him on a phone call. This is the this is the one that upsets me the most. This is the one that I'm like, okay, you basically admitting that you are Rob is stealing the election, uh, trying to steal the election, appoint your own electors, you know. And he said, could you find me 11? And it's funny because it's one vote more that he lost by. Yes, yeah, exactly. Can you believe it? But, you know, if, if he gets put into prison, then he could be potentially seen as a martyr. Well, yes. Which, which, is, which also raises him. Well, he's being uh, some, raised as a martyr now, isn't some, he, because of some, his house being um, raided? It, well, it will be even more, and that's, that's, that is a worry. Um, but one possibility is that he he does get indicted, but you let him continue to have his passport. That's what I would I would let him have his passport, even though he's indicted. Mm -hmm. Let him have his passport. Let him know he's going to have to report to prison, and five months or three months or whatever period, because then he'll go and go into exile. Well, have a one-way ticket to Moscow. Uh, he, he can <laughs> he can stay with Kim Jong Un. Yes. You know, because they've had love letters yeah, between them. Yeah, they sent love letters to right. each other. Yeah. So that's where I think he should go, to, to North Korea, and just be in asylum there. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be a good, and, 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 a good compromise. And don't forget, New York, he's got another case there with um, the attorney general there is uh, with his business 
Um, th- there's just every, every time. I think he'll flee. I think he'll try to flee. There's so many different. I think I'll try to flee. Can all these be hoaxes? All of these can. Is no. it, is that possible to have all these different people suing you and they're all a lie? They just don't like me. That's why they're doing it. I mean, is that a reason to bother spending millions of dollars because they don't like you? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, part of the conditioning of how people support him, you were asking me about that earlier, mm-hmm. they know that in psychology that there's a phenomenon when people watch someone on television a great deal mm-hmm. that they start have formulating this idea that they have a relationship with that person. Yes. And this is used all the time in local news. Mm-hmm. You know, like the news anchor woman just had a baby and we're all supposed to care. You know, or they're like celeb. So we feel like the people who are the watchers of the show feel that they have a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. And because of that show, The Apprentice, which I never watched even a single episode, no, I never did. but there were millions and millions of people who saw him and became familiar with him or his image that he's projecting mm-hmm. over several years. Mm-hmm. And I think that this definitely played. A role in his acceptance and popularity. Absolutely, and, and they just can't break away from that. Well, it's happening. I think there's, um, and, and I apologize to the listeners because I, I should be, I should know people's names, you know. But there is a woman running in Arizona, I think it is, who um, was a she was a news anchor, hmm. but she's one of those election denialists who who says the election was stolen. From Donald Trump, and she, um, you know, she's very well, you know, well put together. She's very stylish. She's very out there. You know, she's you know, dynamic person. And I have a fear that because of who she was, you know, that she was this. And the same thing with Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker. I mean, the Republicans can only put celebrities up there because anybody else would lose if they just spewed this nonsense. Don't you agree? I tend to concur with you. <laughs> and, yeah, don't even get me started on that major, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, but she's one. not ce- – she, one thing, she wasn't a celebrity, though, at least. that's Yeah, but she's she, become a celebrity just because of her yeah, just for, but, but, craziness. But for – yes, for being completely, you know, bat, bat bleep crazy, you know. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so President Biden – recently made a speech warning about MAGA Republicans and their semi-fascist moves to take the vote away from people and into the hands of elected partisans. That's scary, if you just think of that concept. Would this practice, if it came to fruition, finally put the nail in the coffin of our democracy? And how do you think? Now, what I'm for the listeners, I'm sure they know a little bit about this. The reason that these local elections now are, are so important is because if they, if these denialists, election denials, take power, they can, uh, let's say, I'll just pick a state, uh, Arizona, they pick uh, a Democrat. And then the Secretary of State turns and says, no, 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 that, that didn't happen. <laughs> That's not what happened. So we're going to send different people. Uh, electors over to Washington to, to to for Arizona. That don't you see how dangerous this can be? It it sounds a lot like something from George Orwell's work. 
Yeah, you know, it? doesn't it? Like Animal Farm or 1984. Yes. Something like that, that somebody else knows better. A big brother knows better. Uh-huh. It sort of sounds like something out of Russia, you know, of the communist thing that we fought against for so many decades. Mm-hmm. Why would we be jettisoning democracy? There, mm-hmm. there are so many countries throughout the world, we've seen it in the news over decades of decades of people in the streets fighting for democracy why are we so willing to throw democracy out the window exactly it's it's frightening but you know if the tables were turned and i'm sure our listeners would agree with me we would be against even a democrat doing that Oh, we'd be oh, absolutely. It thought would that. be wouldn't matter because again, if if I went out to vote, and you throw my vote away right there, that's not democracy anymore. Right. It's exactly. Exactly what Putin's probably doing because yeah. he keeps winning by ninety percent of the vote. Yeah. <laughs> Miraculously, you know. I, I, I thought of as a joke this this um, coming November I'd put a or, or the next election. Uh, I put a sign on my yard that said, uh, Putin, Trump, 2024. And he'd win. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just thought it was like, you don't, you don't, you don't dare do that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, nowadays, you know, in the last, you know, last time when Trump uh, ran, though, you didn't see a great many Biden signs in the yards. Because I think even people, you know, usually with elections, you see a lot more Democratic yard signs up. But I think people are... Kind of cautious and weary. Yeah. Of, um, well, abor- don't forget abortion. Women are very angry. We keep we keep glossing over women's. Uh, women are not going to take it anymore. This is not 1905. You know, women are not going to have a government tell them what to do with their body. I, uh, if it was happening to men, we'd be infuriated. I mean, do you do you agree with yeah, that? I, that's I, also yeah, part I, yeah, of it. Yeah, I, under, I understand that. But at the same time, you will have the Republicans wanting to bust legislation on this or that or air pollution, and they don't want the government involved in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you know, again, uh, it, so it's a double standard. In, in that well, sense. yeah, but see, uh, this is this is where it infuriates me even more because. You know, a lot of Republicans would, well, I don't want to say Republicans, because there was a lot of good Republicans out there that are, but I'm, uh, MAGA Republicans, that think mm-hmm. that, what did, Biden, what did Biden do? He did absolutely nothing for us. Oh, my God, he is, if you look at all the legislation that he signed mm-hmm. with, with not, even a major, not even one extra person in the Senate, think about this. He passed infrastructure, the PACT Act. Um, the CHIP Act, we, you know, we make chips in the United States now. Um, the clean air, uh, uh, the, the climate change uh, legislation, um, gun legislation, even though it wasn't, didn't go all the way to, to ban assault weapons, it at least was a, st- a baby step, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably forgetting more. I mean, there's so many things, but yet they say oh, he did absolutely nothing. And then you ask them, well, what did Trump do? <laughs> in four years and they have nothing to say you know oh yeah he did put well he did do something he put um those uh activist judges on the court and and now that we're paying the price you Mm -hmm. think yeah and and decreased 
um, or, or decrease the tax burden on the very rich. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's what I, yeah, that's his big claim to fame in his four years. Anyway, um, finally, as a member of the margin of a marginalized community, I'm part of the LGBT community, as my listeners know. Equality is a major motivator for me to vote um, in November. In your opinion, why is it essential for marginalized people to vote for Democrats in the upcoming election in November? For example, if you're a part of the Muslim community or in the black community or a woman or an LGBT person or an Asian American or a Native American, I'm probably leaving somebody out, why why are those communities, uh, why should those communities come out even more in, 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 than ever before? Well, I'll tell you quite frankly, all those groups that you mentioned, mm -hmm. whether white supremacists like that or not, mm -hmm. they are America. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So people should vote. Yes. They should become active in that. They are America. Uh -huh. It used to maybe not that way that, you know, because we had the white majority. Yeah. But yeah, people, I think part of the reason we're seeing so much turmoil is people just can't cope with the fact that we're uh, a multicultural society. That is the difficulty that those people have accepting that. Right. Yeah. And I think it bothers them that they're becoming not the majority anymore. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. You know, that could be it too. And um, if we all stick together... As Americans, no matter what your hyphen was before the hyphen, you know, hyphen American, uh, if we stick together and vote as a as a block, this could never, this 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 fascism could never take hold in this country. We have to just yeah. look at each other as people, like Martin Luther King said, you know, judge people by the content of the character and not the color of their skin or their religion or whatever. So um, this is going to take some time for this to happen. It's not going to, uh, you know, a transformation to a more peaceful, more humane, more civil society. It's going to take some time. It's, this could take, I think, 20, maybe even 30 years to get out of this period. But you got to remember, too, you, you know, you're about the same age I am. And you remember the oh, McCar I mean, McCarthy period? Yes. You know, was it a little bit before our time? Communism. You yeah. know, that was a frenzy and craziness too. Mm -hmm. But eventually, we got over that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the Republicans have had a history of that. You know, McCarthy. Mm -hmm. Then you had the Willie Horton ads during the '90s. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're, they're coming, in, they're moving in your neighborhood, kind of thing. You know, and um, I think they, the Republican Party, surviving on this othering. You know. You're the other. You're not an American. You're not a real American. You know. You're not. You know, a European American. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think that's how they're surviving? That they're getting along by using that uh, umbrella? Yeah, it could be that way. Um, one of the things in social psychology, um, and is a, a strong principle, is that when people belong to a group or want to form bonds within a group, they have to find people who are different or adversary to that say these people are repellent. Mm -hmm. You know, these are just people, awful people. They're not us. Mm -hmm. So they, they often do that to build cohesion within their own group. 
Right, right. You know, so that's what's going on because it's crazy in the last couple decades, you know, we had two political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, and although they weren't exactly the, the same, you know, and had differences between them, they were not bitter enemies. Absolutely. But nowadays, it's, it's like a blood fight, you know, between these two groups. Yeah, look at Richard yeah. Nixon created the, uh, the, the EPA. That would have never been on the agenda of the Republican Party in, in 2020, 22. So I think this is, I think this is not going to be a short um, fix to this. It's going to take quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. People have to develop critical thinking skills mm -hmm. and see beyond the propaganda, because a lot of the propaganda techniques are the same that we saw in Nazi Germany. If you tell a big lie mm -hmm. long enough and hard enough and loud enough over and over again, the population, be a certain amount of the population, begins to believe that. That's what Mein Kampf was about. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was actually... the same lie many times and, and eventually Yeah, this is after Mein Kampf, but, but this is Goebbels with his propaganda. You just see, if you look at the history of Germany and all that, that evolution and the gaining of power, you're going to see some similarities. Oh, yeah. Make Germany, great, make Germany great again was yeah, Hitler's, exa uh, exactly. you know, uh, motto. Exactly. And, um, you know, we must stick together. We're the greatest, you know, mm -hmm. Germany first. Well, the America right. first is the same as Germany first. We live in a world. You can't isolate our country and say you're, everybody else is beneath us. You see, that's the problem with a lot of America first or, people. Or the God only cares about the United States. Yeah, yeah, I like that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, unfortunately, we have come to the end of the show, Paul. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. So for more information about Dr. Paul Gold's book, you can check out the book on Amazon by typing in Hidden Hotels of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and you will find both volumes of the ebook there, correct? That's correct. They're both available. And the YouTube channel, the connection to get to that YouTube, those YouTube videos is www.lurid, L-U-R-I-D, history, H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, dot com, no spaces. And um, thank you so much, Paul, for uh, sharing your time with us on the Downright Upright show today. Well, thanks, Philip. Thanks for having me for a guest today. Oh, and maybe in the future you can come back and we can do this again sometime. Sure, we can do that I'd again. I'd love that. Okay. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us today, and please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright show in the future. I hope to be posting at least two or three shows a month, so please continue to check them out. And ciao for now.